0: If you've got your Bibles, turn over to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be reading from chapter, chapter 1. So you get, get to the beginning of the book. That's where you need to be. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. So starting in verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whom sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. One of the. as weird as this may sound one of the the things I look forward to every Advent season is the fact that I get to preach a little bit about John the Baptist alright y'all gotta forgive me for the water thing I'm starting to understand why speakers have throat problems now but anyway I love talking about John the Baptist and every Advent season John the Baptist makes a reappearance to us here on the stage, it may come from, from Mark, like we got today. It may come from John, uh, like Susan did earlier, or one of the other Gospels. But nonetheless, if it's Advent, you can pretty well rest assured that John the Baptist is going to be on the scene. He uh, he's an interesting character, and he's, he's he's one that I like to talk about. He's he's very he's very interesting to me. Um, Mark makes a point in our in the in the first few verses, or in about the middle of the verses that we did today. Mark Pate makes a point to point out that John wore clothing made of camel's hair, that he wore a leather belt around his waist, that he ate locusts and he ate wild honey. So John was not your typical preacher. And uh, but then again, neither was Jesus. John was certainly John the Baptist was certainly not uh, the uh, based on his appearance and his mannerisms was not the uh, the quintessential. Preacher or religious leader of his time, nor would nor would he have been today. The image that we get is kind of a uh, John the Baptist is kind of a no holds barred type of guy. He didn't hold back on what he believed to be the truth, and he pretty much told, said whatever he wanted to say. Um, undoubtedly, and I don't know this for a fact. There's no scripture to point me to this, but I would venture to guess that John's opinions and John's forthrightness probably got him into a whole heck of a lot of trouble. We certainly know that it wound up costing him his life. I don't know if you guys remember that story or not. But uh, John the Baptist pointed out to King Herod that it probably was not within the will of God for him to have divorced his wife so he could marry his brother's ex-wife. And the new wife kind of frowned upon that. And eventually she maneuvered herself some things around and uh, she had him beheaded and had his head served up on a platter. Thought my kid, thought my child might would have taken an interest in that one, but alas, alas, it did not. So yeah, John the Baptist was very opinionated. He was kind of a wild guy. He was, he was, he was untamed. Definitely not like the Pharisees and some of these other religious leaders of the day. As a matter of fact, he called the Pharisees and all the religious folks a brood of vipers. That's how much he. I'm uh, not, not going to say he didn't respect them, but um, he called it like he saw it. So that was just the type of person that he is, and that's the Im- or was, and that's the image that we get of, of John the Baptist um, in all of these gospel stories of him. <clears throat> but it's interesting to me, and I tell you all that about and, I, and I talk about John in those ways, to point one thing out to you and ask you a question. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that God would use a man who is so wild, so untamed, so irreligious to introduce the Savior of the world to the world? He didn't use a dude with a collar or a robe or whatever they were wearing back in those days didn't you somebody with general uprightness, higher echelon of society. God chose this wild, crazy, what we would probably saw if they were on their lawn today, would call them a crazy person. Yeah. To introduce the world to the Son of God. But, As we all know, God kind of has a habit of doing that, doesn't he? (laughs) Look through the Gospels. Look through through the Old Testament. Look at Moses. Moses killed a guy, for goodness sakes. Uh, I don't even want to get with children present. I don't want to get into some of the things that Noah did. But he used some very imperfect folks to accomplish some of his greatest works, some of the most unlikeliest of people. And here we get this glimpse of John the Baptist, this crazy person almost, who introduces us. To the Messiah the Gospel of Mark which by the way um, if you didn't know this your New Testament's not arranged in chronological order either it's not, it's not arranged by, by, by the time by the way that it was written or by the dates that it was written Mark is generally considered to be probably more than likely the oldest gospel but anyway the Gospel of Mark doesn't waste any time getting to the story of jesus and that's what kind of this one that's what kind of makes gospel of mark kind of stand out to me among other things is that mark the author mark jumps right to the point we don't get to we don't get to find out anything about jesus's birth from mark we don't get to find out anything about his childhood or any of his any of his adult life or early adult life prior to his ministry we don't get to know any of that mark just jumps right to the point He sums it up. He gets straight into the the crux of the matter, the foundation of everything that his gospel is about, right there in the opening verse. And he just kind of explodes this book onto the scene and and, and tells us, this is what this thing's about. What you're about to read, right here. This is it. That first verse in in, in, in Mark's book, Says this, the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Or Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Son of God, however your Bible has that translated. That's how Mark chooses to explode his gospel onto the scene. Not little baby Jesus in a manger. No stories about his childhood. Here it is. The beginning of the good news. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. Right there, in no uncertain terms, the Gospel of Mark starts off with this bang. It identifies Jesus, it lets us know that this is the Messiah. This is who we've been talking about for centuries. This is Him. There is no more waiting. This is what this story is about. Everything you're about to read next, this is it. Jesus, the Messiah, the one we've all waited on. Jesus is who he says he is. That's what that verse tells us. Everything you've heard about this guy, Jesus, I'm about to tell you some more. He is who he says he is. And <clears throat> that's how Mark kicks, that, kicks his book off. It's one of the main points. It's one of the main points for us to really look at today. But for right now, I'm going to get back to John the Baptist for just a second. Because Mark's gospel goes a little bit further in the next verse. In, uh, in case there was any doubt that Jesus was who he says he is. And this is really cool to me. Throughout the New Testament, through the gospels, through the epistles of, of Paul, you find all of these references to Old Testament prophecy. ...that has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. All of these Old Testament prophets, the words that we read in here in the OT, Christ fulfills them. And it's so neat that the authors of the epistles and the gospels include those as further evidence of what Jesus is, who he says he is. And that's what we get into in the next couple of verses. It's so cool. In case there was any doubt, if there's any doubt, Mark utilizes this prophetic scripture from two books, the book of Malachi and the book of Isaiah, to let us know who Jesus is, to introduce us to Jesus, and to introduce us to the man who is going to introduce us to Jesus. From the book of Malachi, in our verses today, the author of Mark writes, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, prophecy from the book of malachi again the next part of that scripture says a voice of one calling out in the wilderness prepare the way for the lord that sounds a lot like john the baptist to me of course that's who he's referencing a voice of one calling out in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight paths for him that's a prophecy that you can read yourself from the book of isaiah mark utilizes these two things to point to point us to john the baptist who points us to Jesus. This is who these prophets were talking about here in Malachi. Here in Isaiah. When they said this person will come. Saying prepare a way for the Lord. How cool is that? How cool is that? That the author wants us to know without a doubt. That prophecy is being fulfilled. Through John the Baptist. Right there at the beginning of his book. This prophecy is being fulfilled by this guy right here. This crazy, untamed, reckless No holds bar, fella. This is who's going to introduce the world to the Messiah. And it's just so cool. We read that John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to talk about repentance for just a second, a little later on. Um, But first, notice this. Because this is something else that really stood out to me this time. And it's never stood out to me before. And I've probably read this story a hundred times. But as I was reading it this time, these two little parts stood out to me. And this is why it's so important for us to really take time to ingest Scripture when we read it. To not just gloss over it, but to really take in literally every single word of Scripture. Because what happens when we don't is we fail to miss a lot of the the really cool stuff. A lot of the, we tend to miss the big picture, if you will, because here's what our scripture says today. It's just little words that we would tend to gloss over, but it makes all the difference in the world. What was going on with John the Baptist? What was going on with this crazy, reckless preacher who's out there baptizing folks um, and, uh, and, and preaching a gospel of repentance? Right here in our scriptures, and I don't know how your Bible translates it, but my, 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 my verse says this. It says all of the people, excuse me, it says the whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Went out, went out to hear John the Baptist. You know what stood out to me when I read it this time? It never, never hit home with me before. The words whole and all. The words whole and all. The author intentionally threw those words in there for a purpose. To show us the magnitude of John the Baptist's ministry. He didn't say a handful of people. He didn't say some people showed up to hear him preach. Check this out. He says the whole Judean countryside. And all of the people of Jerusalem went out to see him. Not some of the people, holy schmoly, not some of the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a big town, (laughs) in case y'all didn't know. And I don't know if he literally meant this or not, but you know, he intentionally uses these words, whole and all. There's a lot of folks who were listening to John the Baptist at the time. He had a tremendous following. He had a tremendous following, and in fact, many believed that he was the Messiah at the time, even though he, even though he outright said said otherwise. Tremendous following. As a matter of fact, even after his death, all the way up until the second century, John the Baptist had folks that were that were still still considered themselves to be disciples of him. But despite all that, now think about that really. Let's say the entirety of Douglas showed up to Brock's United Methodist Church one day. That's not even a drop in the bucket of the, of the number of people we're talking about this guy that were coming to hear him preach. Drop in the bucket. But despite all that, despite that great following, that tremendous following that he had, undoubtedly the great work that he was doing for God, John the Baptist had no delusions. <laughs> about who he was. John the Baptist had no delusions about his role in this story. In the concluding verses from today, he makes it known very matter-of-factly that his eyes, his heart, have tunnel vision, and they are focused on one thing, and that one thing is Jesus. John wasn't in it for the popularity. He wasn't in it for the the large population of people that were following him. He was there for one reason, and he knew that reason. That was to point those folks to the Savior of the world, to the Messiah. And here's what he says. He says, after me. After me, the one more powerful than I, John the Baptist says in these scriptures, "After me, the one who is more powerful than I, the straps <clears throat> of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie." That's a great statement, by the way. If y'all didn't know, that would have been a uh, that would have been a duty uh, more along the lines of, of of people who were slaves or. Considered slaves or servants. That would have been something they would have done, tying people's shoes. Sounds like sounds like fun time. He said, I'm not even worthy of doing that. A man who sandals, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And I hope I'm not getting too linguistic here, too, using too much language. But language is kind of my thing. And something else popped out to me this time as I was, again, for, for the first time... ...and going over this story... ...something else popped out to me in the language here is the difference that we can make... ...the difference that a, a little tiny preposition can make... ...in a sentence. Because when I replace one of these prepositions... ...that we just read with another preposition... ...it doesn't necessarily change the meaning... ...but it certainly enhances the meaning... ...and it gives us a bigger idea... ...and a bigger understanding... ...of the complexity and the... ...bigness of what this statement means... And it's an accurate translation, by the way. I'm not, I'm not just changing words in the Bible. I, wouldn't, I would not do that. The, it's an accurate translation to, to, for these two words to fit into this sentence. But listen to this, and I hope you all think this is as cool as I thought it was. I baptize you with water. That's probably what your Bible says. I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. How about this? How about I baptize you in water, but He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That kind of enhances that a little bit, doesn't it? And it's not an inaccurate translation. It's a very, very accurate translation, by the way. You change that word with to in. It enhances that meaning. It gives you a deeper idea of what we're talking about here. I baptize you in water, but He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Because understand this. And I know we are going to be pushed for time. I went, I went over time over, over there this morning too. Understand this. If you're a Christian, if you uh, are a Christian at the very base, at the, at the, very, the very basics of Christianity, okay, And what I mean by basics is is if you've reached that point in your life or or, or at some point in your life where you have been justified to God, you've been reconciled in a a right relationship with God through nothing but but your faith, okay? That's that's the moment of salvation or that's the moment of justification. And I've tried to explain this to the best of my ability before. But that's that's, that's pretty much the opening point of of being a, a, a Christian under orthodox, traditional, historical Church and Christian theology—that's the point at which you become a Christian. When you, whatever that point looks like in your life, it looks different for everybody. That point is when you come to a realization, whether it's in your head and your heart, that hey, I'm going to accept this gift that Christ offers me freely. I'm a sinner. God offers me this gift, this 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 reconciled relationship with Christ through nothing but the death, resurrection of Jesus. That's our starting point as Christians if you have done that, if you've experienced that at some point in your life, I want you guys to understand this. Now, this is the coolest thing in the world. This is the coolest, coolest thing in the world to me. If you are at that point, if that has ever happened to you, the Spirit of the living God resides inside of you. The Holy Spirit literally resides has taken up residence inside of you we have that as followers of jesus as people who've been reconciled through nothing but faith and acceptance of that free gift that he offers us we have that holy spirit literally inside of us guiding us helping us fighting for us i baptize you in water but he will baptize you in the holy spirit what a gift what a gift that is Jesus is who he says he is. And that's, that's, the, that's the point of, the, of, of what we're getting at here today. Uh, primary point of the gospel of Mark. Jesus is who he says he is. Mark reveals that in his first sentence. He utilizes Old Testament prophecy to confirm it. And John the Baptist confirms it in his own, in his own words. Repentance is another theme that you see in these scriptures. Repentance, again, if we're talking about traditional... Orthodox beliefs within the Christian church, repentance is certainly one of those. Repentance is an absolute must if we're going to call ourselves Christians. It's, it's, a, it's a non-negotiable in Christian doctrine. And hopefully it's something that we kind of practice pretty regularly, to be honest with you. But get this, you know, repentance, and I've, I think I've talked about this probably dozens of times at this point, but repentance is basically just this. It's just submitting to God. It's just submitting to God. That word repentance has got such a nasty reputation over the years, probably because you've got a lot of nasty preachers out there preaching nasty. <laughs> but it's not a bad word to me. To me, it's a good word. I enjoy the word repentance today. It just means that I'm lining up my will with the will of God. It means that God is showing me something. It, it means he's showing me that I'm either I'm thinking something or I'm, I'm doing something or saying something that's outside of his will. And I need to change that. And I make that change. And I submit to God's authority. I submit to God's will. And I make that change. That's what repentance is. And that's what Christianity is all about, is submission. And I think that I've preached on that term itself probably before. But if I had to sum it up, what Christianity is all about, it is that little word, submission. Being a Christian, being a disciple, being a Christ follower It's all about allowing God, about allowing that Holy Spirit that resides inside of us to do His work. Just letting Him do His work through us. And here's where I have a hard time with my messages, folks. And I realize this. So I need y'all to help me sometimes. I love to preach about being a disciple. I love to preach about being a disciple, man. And, and I think I'm afraid that I come across a little too harsh sometimes or a little too, like my expectations are a little bit too much maybe. I do have high expectations for myself. And I love to preach on being like Jesus. Y'all know that. I love to preach on radical forgiveness. I love to preach on, on mercy, practicing radical mercy, practicing radical love, those types of things. I love to preach on, 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 on having hearts for the poor and hearts for the marginalized. I love the hearts for the downtrodden. I love to preach on on, on having and living the fruits of the spirit. That I think we talked about last week: gentleness, patience, love, self-control, joy, peace, kindness, those types of things. And I and, and I preach on those very very often. <laughs> and here's where I have a problem getting the message. Both through, I, I, I have a problem telling myself this sometimes and practicing this myself a lot of times but i can't do this by myself (laughs) as much as i want to be like jesus and as much as i want y'all to be like jesus as much as i want y'all to embrace these qualities of jesus as much as i believe god wants us to embrace these qualities of jesus i don't have the ability to do that on my own christianity is not about trying harder okay and this is where we have to kind of lean in a little bit and try to figure this out. Christianity is not about me trying to try harder. Christianity is about me recognizing the will of God and letting Him do His work. Okay? I can't do this stuff. I can't can't become gentle and and have a lot of self-control and practice crazy kindness and crazy grace and mercy all the time. I can't do that, but God can. As much as I want to be those things. And you'll know I preach about Jesus and and, and being like Jesus so much. That's probably 90% of what I preach about. But I can't do it on my own. And trying harder is just going to make me upset and irritated. It's not about trying harder, it's about recognizing this stuff and just letting, letting the Holy Spirit do that work for us. That's what He wants. He wants us to be like Christ. Learning how to do that, that's what Christianity, that's what being a disciple and a follower is all about. And he gives us the means to be able to do this. And this is something else that, 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 I, that I preach about pretty frequently. God gives us the means for him to work this grace and, and do this work through us. One of them we're participating in right now, corporate worship. Okay, God gives us tools. We may not be able to do this stuff. I'm not talking, I'm not saying you just sit on your, on your butt and do nothing. God certainly wants us to, to move and do things. He also gives us the tools and the means whereby we can do this, whereby we, we, He can work that grace through us, whereby He can work those little miracles through us. Because look at this now. It ain't about behavior modification. Okay. And I believe in ethics and good morals and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, it ain't about behavior modification. It's about heart and head transformation. It's about losing the old self, the old selfish, self centered self, and literally allowing Christ to transform us from the inside out. Allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing, submitting the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. So don't beat yourselves up too much. And if y'all feel like I ever beat you up, y'all tell me. Because I'll be honest with you, I've got, a, I've got a tendency to beat myself up pretty hard when I don't practice these things and when I don't love people the way I think I should probably love them. When I don't exercise mercy the way that I know Christ wants me to exercise mercy. When I don't love people I know the way that I know Christ wants me to love people. When I don't reach out and help the marginalized and the downtrodden the way that I know He wants me to. I do beat myself up over that stuff, so I'm not telling you to beat yourself up. Please do not. It's just the recognition, you know. Recognize the will of God and allow Him to do His work. That's why we come to church. Christ works through His church. In a few minutes, we're going to we're going to receive Holy Communion. The Methodist Church, Wesleyan Church, has a has a rich history of understanding that Christ works His grace through receiving Holy Communion. John Wesley believed that people actually could get saved simply through receiving Holy Communion. That's how much he thought about it. God gives us these gifts, He gives us these these means, these tools. That's why that's why we got the Bible. That's why we got the Bible. Otherwise, it's just a book. What does the Bible do for us? I mean, you got professors and theologians and all that who study it for various reasons, but for the for the average Joe and Susie, what does it do? It reveals to us the Word of God. It reveals to us the will of God. It reveals to us the character of God. Read those red letters. If you want to know what God is like, (laughs) listen to Jesus. It reveals this to us. This is how we know and we absorb this stuff and we allow God to work it through us, to become this. It's not about me trying to make me better. It's about... Knowing, what, knowing, knowing God's will and just letting the Holy Spirit do His work in my life. That's why we pray. That's why God gives us the gift of prayer. That's why God gives us the gift of fasting. These are all things traditionally that the Methodist Church has preached on for centuries now, and we call, there's a name for it. Wesley in our church calls them the means of grace. Pretty simple. It's the tools that we have to access that, that, that God works through to, to work this transformation in our hearts, in our minds, and in, in our lives. Whew! That was a long sermon. <laughs> and it's all a gift. It's it's all a gift. From, from, from the beginning to the end, folks, every, every salvation and... We've said this before, salvation is not just, you know, getting out of hell. It's, it's a lifelong, beautiful, beautiful, lifelong journey. Um, and it is a gift. It, 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 is, a, it is a gift um, that we can access if, if that's truly what we want. And I believe that's what God wants. I've told you all that. I, I've told you, I don't, I, don't think we're, I don't think that we're Christians just for, just for the sake of getting out of hell. You know, I think there's a purpose for us, and that purpose is to become like Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. You want to know what your purpose is? You want to know why you're born? To become, if you're a Christian, it's to become like Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, and that's, that's, that's what God gives us. He gives us the ability through that Holy Spirit, learning to submit. And I enjoy that personally. I've seen that in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm done in just about two seconds, two minutes. I enjoy that transformation, y'all. I've seen it in my life. I've, I've seen it. These, you know, I, I have little... I've had great moments, and I've had little sparks of moments. And it's those sparks that remind me, just let me know that Christ is real. That the Holy Spirit's continuing to work through me. And, uh, and I am becoming more like Christ in little ways. I suspect each and every person in this room can testify to that in your own life. If you look back five years, ten years, whatever, you're probably, to some degree or another, a little more like Jesus than you were back then. More than likely. I hope so, anyway. But that's our role, I believe. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, as the author of Hebrews writes.